This is Observations QNO Podcast for Friday, the 9th of April, 2021. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dale Franks. I'm Bruce McQuain. And it's been an interesting week. We had the long-awaited executive action on guns, mm. which... Uh, yeah, you know, I, I listened to live while it was while it was going on. You know, the interesting thing about working from home now is that uh, my wife, who keeps the news on basically all day, uh, I get to hear all this stuff when it happens live. So I got to hear the president talk about why he was uh, implementing his uh, gun control uh, policy via executive order, and his explanation for his reasoning was. Even for Joe Biden, the most monstrous collection of lies I believe I've ever heard. There was literally not a single sentence in that entire introduction that wasn't an absolute lie. Correct. Absolutely correct. There was not one word to include the word and. (laughs) That wasn't a lie. Uh, Especially the the one that always gets me and, and, you know, it's, it's been around forever with with the uh, amongst the gun grabbers and it is is just completely not true is the supposed gun show uh loophole uh, it it just doesn't happen yeah, um that, yeah. you know you have you I, have to buy the gun from a federally licensed uh, uh dealer who has to run a background check on there or he doesn't or she doesn't get in the gun show it's that simple They, you know, if, if they're not licensed, uh, they can't sell you a gun. They can sell you other stuff, but they can't sell you a gun. And, and if they were to do so, they would lose their FFL. Right. I mean, so inst- you know, yeah, instantly never been any, it, it's, it's never been any other way ever. And, and what they're actually talking about, and what the he what he really wants to do is uh, is about private um, uh, uh, con- transfers, uh, uh, transactions where you sell it to a friend or you give it to a friend on loan or whatever, and he wants to make that a background check react uh, uh, transaction. Right, uh, and that by the happen. way, that by the way is uh, controlled by state law. For example. In California, you cannot transfer a gun to anyone who has not passed a background check. Yeah. Even in a private transaction. It's just flatly illegal in California. In some mm-hmm. states, uh, they do not require a background check for private transfers. And That's correct. So if I'm a private person at a gun show and I come up against another private person and I want to sell them a gun in those states, there's no law against it. Now... If they were to present it honestly, that would be one thing. But this this pretending that, oh, the second crossroads of the West opens their doors at the state fairgrounds, that all gun laws have now been magically suspended, is, is just complete and utter bullshit. Yep. But it, it, it wasn't just that. I mean, he's talking about, you know, just... Everything he said about guns was wrong. You know, there's these ghost guns. Okay, look, there. it is possible to buy some parts of a lower receiver, for example, that isn't serial numbered. What does it matter? You, 
you 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 still got the if you if, if you shoot somebody with it, you've still got ballistics. You can still match it with the barrel that it fired from. And so what is he saying? Every gun part sold, whether it's a, a hand grip or hand guard up front or what, th- this all has to be serialized now? Yeah, and that's absurd. And, of course, we all know what it's for. It, it's so they can register guns at some point. You can't register guns unless they have numbers on them. And so rather than just say a, a gun has to have a serial number and these are the serial number parts it has, it's, you know, it's, everything has to be serial number now. So every I mean, single absurd. part that that's just that's just the well you know again California has a law that says every gun sold in California if it's a new gun must incorporate a micro stamping technology that literally doesn't exist outside of science fiction. <laughs> and the Ninth Circuit has held more than once. Hey, the fact that this technology doesn't exist doesn't mean the government can't require it. Oh, for God's sake, the Ninth Circus. What would you expect? And does the Supreme Court hear those cases? No. Well, no. I mean, the Supreme Court is uh, cowardly, let's put it that way. Uh, There are a lot of things it should hear it just flat won't do. And and most of it, or a lot of it, has to do with uh, the Second Amendment. They just, if they do hear a case, they usually find very, very, very extremely narrowly. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, yeah. DC versus Heller was really the 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 big exception to that. But whenever you look yep. at it, it's not as far reaching as people thought it might be at first. Apparently not. <laughs> Apparently not with all the all the nonsense that goes on. I mean, it's like nothing changed uh, with those that want to, you know, ban guns. Yeah, well, now, now now they've retreated to, well, you have the right to have a flintlock. Yeah, you have a, you have a, a, a right to have a freaking letter press, hand, hand you know, hand crank uh, press to put your stuff out with. Yeah, with movable type. Yeah, for God's sake. That's, that has to be the stupidest argument I've ever heard uh, from anyone that, that doesn't like guns as well. The second amendment was, but it was uh, written and there were flintlocks. Yeah. Well, when was the first amendment bill or written and why do you have a microphone in front of your face? Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, these arguments don't have to make sense. They just have to, you know, be something that sounds clever to people who don't know anything about the subject, because that's really who they're talking about. There, there's, there's no, no one is under any illusions that the hundred and how many, 30, 150 million gun owners in this country uh, are going to be swayed by any of these arguments. In fact, they know they're not. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. And and uh, what you're going to see is, you know, I think, uh, I think it comes down to guns. Uh, there are going to be, if, they, if it ever gets to the confiscation stage or the turn-in stage or the registration stage, there is going to be a huge... Uh, backlash. I, I would say maybe one third will do what you know is is demanded of them. But I would I would conservatively guess that two thirds will say, "Screw you, come and take them." I don't think that's going to be, and I don't think you're going to find a number of police uh, departments and sheriff's departments out there that are going to make that a priority. 
Um, probably not, because that's a very high-risk thing to do on a daily basis, and it would have yes, to be done on a daily basis. And besides that, leftist governments don't like the police, so why in the hell would they go out and risk their lives for that bunch? Yeah, so that'll be, uh, you know, if, if it gets to that point, that'll be interesting. But I'll tell you what, all it would take is for a number of highly publicized incidents of violent resistance to gun confiscation, and then we really would have a national conversation. Well, yeah, uh, you know, and, I, and I think back and I'm trying to remember the, um, the guy's name that, that the feds tried to make a land grab on him and either killed or took his cattle and they showed up one day to... Yeah, that was uh, uh, Cliven Bundy. And, and Bundy, yeah. Out there and, and man, they, there's a picture out there that just says it all. There's this big half-moon shape of, of friends, neighbors, and, and activists that showed up standing behind, beside Cliven Bundy. And the Fed said, okay, we're going home. Well, you know, I, I'm always amused whenever I see people like, you know, Eric Swalwell talking about how, you know, if the government wants to take your guns, they can. <laughs> really? Because I've got I've got some bad news for you. Let's say that there are only a hundred million out of let's say hundred and fifty million gun owners. We don't know for sure. Maybe it's hundred and twenty, maybe it's hundred and fifty. Maybe it's more. We don't really know. So let's say a third of them did turn in their guns. You're still left with about a hundred million gun owners who are armed and who have decided they're not gonna give them up. Now, I don't know if you can do simple math. But if you count the entire United States military and all law enforcement officials in this country, you're still outnumbered by about 20 to 1. Yeah. Yep. And then you have to make the assumption that they'll all go out and do confiscation. And my guess is probably the majority of them will say, yeah, no, not doing that. So then what? You know, and unless you're going to, you know, do away with com uh, uh, posse comitatus, you're stuck with the National Guard who live in the states who are going to go, yeah, we're not playing that game. We don't do that. Yeah, so, you know, to a very large degree, there's just a lot of wish casting going on. Yeah. And but the problem is, the problem is with wish casting is that it, it sometimes can turn into law and then you, you overnight make criminals of people who are simply trying to exercise their freedom. And, you know, we, we see this all the time with with uh, uh, legislation coming through where they'll they'll pass this legislation that, that has stuff hidden in it that that ends up uh, surprising everyone and turning certain people into criminals, for God's sake. I mean, it's and this this latest rash of legislation that's coming out now, I mean, God, if you dig through these 5,000 some odd page bills, uh, I guarantee you'll find something in there that will, in fact, criminalize something that, you know, most people do. Um, the infrastructure bill, for instance, is trying to grab uh, zone, housing zoning to, to essentially eliminate single family housing uh, in an infrastructure bill. Yeah, because as they told us, housing is infrastructure. Right. So is apparently a bunch of stuff that we never knew before. It's just crazy. Yeah, 15% of this bill actually has any infrastructure-related spending in it at all. That's correct. The remaining 85% is, is all pork barrel projects for uh, a, a basically a leftist wish list. 
Yeah, actually, it, it, here's how it breaks down, and this is kind of interesting. 6% is for roads and bridges, 6 freaking percent, okay? 43% uh, more is spent on mass transit. They're going to jam high-speed rail down our throat one way or the other. I mean, because Amtrak has such, been such a huge success uh, that they're going to jam $165 billion worth of uh, uh, mass transit and high-speed rail uh, down our throats. Uh, 2% for waterways, locks, dams, ports, and airports. Now that's real infrastructure. Less than 5% for broadband. 74% more on subsidies for electric vehicles. Another thing they're gonna drag or punch down our throat. Uh, and then, I mean, that's, that's spending on stuff which you could loosely call infrastructure, okay? After that, you got 400 billion for the expansion of Medicaid. $213 billion for housing to increase federal control of local housing markets. And that's what we're talking about. They want to do away basically with single-family single, single family housing. $100 billion of additional funding for schools without requiring them to open. $50 billion for a new office at the U.S. Department of Concert, Commerce. I don't know what the hell that's going to be. $35 billion for climate science, innovation, R&D. $10 billion for, you'll love this, a new civilian climate corps. And then last but certainly not least, the bill overturns right to work laws in 27 states. Yeah, that's going to go over like a lead balloon. Yeah. So this is your infrastructure bill. The, the, the thing they're so uh, ginned up to spend $2.3 trillion we don't have on. Yeah, well, you know, now that I was looking at the national debt the other day, and it does occur to me that um, much of the spending that the Democrats want, uh, that is a self-limiting problem. Whenever, whenever two, two and a half trillion dollars is just enough to buy a nice hat, then <laughs> <laughs> we'll be Zimbabwe. Well, <laughs> you know, we, we've talked about this for a long time now. Look, people have been talking about it since the '80s that you can't continually piled debt on. One of the reasons why the U.S. dollar is no longer based on an ounce of gold. One ounce of gold, $37. That was the standard for, you know, decades and decades. Well, because of the deficit spending in the 1960s to pay for the Vietnam War, there was a lot of concern. People started buying down the gold reserves, and that's really why Nixon took us off the gold standard. And we've had a fleet free-floating fiat currency ever since then. So, you know, the money is worth whatever the government says it's worth on any given day. However, there's another factor in there. That money is whatever we say it's worth as long as we have confidence in it. The second we don't, it's worth nothing. And the trouble with monetary systems, as I've said before, is they have an enormous amount of inertia built into them. And they work perfectly right up until the moment that they don't. <laughs> and at the moment when they don't and they stop working, um, there's no way to avoid absolute catastrophe. And, you know, we, we keep heading in that direction and pretending that, you know, having a debt to GDP ratio of 128% is just not a problem or 130 or 150 at some point, And we don't know what the number is, but at some point yeah. people will just say, yeah, I'm buying Bitcoin. Or people in foreign countries just say, "Yeah, we're not using the dollar as a as a as a as the world's reserve currency for trade anymore. We're going to change 
the currency we use. Um, whatever sparks that problem, um, it's going to be unfixable if we keep spending money the way we're spending it. And, you know, the kangaroo, it's still hopping. Yep, it sure is. And slowed down a bit, has it? In fact, it's probably speeded up. And, you know, it would be but, better if the system, like, you know, the, the more debt you accrued or what have you, um, if the system just slowly started to gum itself up, right? It just worked worse and worse and worse. And we could see over time that things were getting worse. And, damn it, monetary systems don't work that way because everything is based on them. So they just work until they don't. And so you don't right. get these warning signs that, oh, by the way, you're just about to go um, uh, ass over tea kettle into hyperinflation you don't you know you don't get that warning or by the time you do get the warning it's 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 too late there's nothing you can do to avoid it and here we sit and here we sit and you know looking looking at going yeah yeah more candy more candy yeah and for people our age i mean that's a real threat to you know everything we've worked for our entire life just be gone and we don't yeah exactly we don't have time to rebuild all that well, and the other thing is that you know, uh, the people that that uh, figured this all figured their retirement and what they needed in retirement years ago, and then got there and found out that you know, the Social Security game that they play were played in uh, isn't going to do what they thought it was going to do, and and that half million that they've got put back isn't worth you know spit uh, because uh, everything's crashed. Uh, they, they don't have a chance to do anything more now. They're at the mercy of whatever. Uh, because their money uh, is not worth uh, what they thought it would be at the t at this time, and that's where we're headed. You know, people who who live off of uh, fixed incomes uh, in retirement are going to be screwed. Yeah. Then what? And but you know what? It, it, it might happen tomorrow. It might happen mm -hmm. for another twenty years. So let's just pretend it'll never happen. I'm hoping for the next 20 years. Yeah, I'm hoping 20 years. Yeah, give me enough <laughs> time just 20. to Let's shuffle off this mortal coil, then you can just <laughs> yeah. blow the whole damn thing up. If, uh, if I'm still around in 20 years, I won't give a shit anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, but and that infrastructure bill is just a, you know, an ongoing symptom of a problem that really uh, we've had since. Well, since the Vietnam War, you know, all these warnings that overspending on the Vietnam War and all the deficit spending, yeah, there were some deleterious effects. It certainly pre presented or prevented Lyndon B. Johnson from getting a budget to fully fund the Great Society. Um, it took us off the gold standard. And yeah, I remember Ronald Reagan, you know, complaining about $1 trillion in national debt uh, in the campaign of 1980. A national debt that, uh, under his leadership, increased to four trillion dollars by the time he left office, and yeah. the 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 ramp on debt since 1980. I mean, it took us from 1789 to 1980 to rack up one trillion dollars of debt. It's taken from 1980 to today to add another 22 trillion to that. Good lord. Yep. Like I keep saying, here we sit. I mean, nobody's doing. No one even talks about it anymore, not the right or the left. 
No, I, I, it, it seems like forever ago, and, and I guess you know it's more than two decades ago, so it was a long time ago, uh, when Bill Clinton was talking about how we had to address the, the deficit. And you know, Democrats were pretending to be deficit hawks. And what the hell? We, we actually, in, in the end of the 90s, we actually did ba- balance the federal budget. Yeah, it's... Um... I don't know. You know, back then, I, and we've talked about this before, back then you could see it. We were the world's reserve uh, currency. Uh, we could risk that sort of debt. Um, and it wasn't as big a risk as it would seem. But now, with with the level of debt that we have and the world in the shape it is, uh, you know, that, that little reserve currency, uh, good feeling isn't there anymore. I mean, Russia has worked very hard to try and uh, change the the market basket out there, and China's all for it. Yeah, and China's them, doing regional trade deals in renminbi now. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that that little, uh, as long as we're the reserve currency uh, bit, it just isn't uh, as, as strong as it used to be. And no one seems to care or, or realize that. Uh, you know, when we, <laughs> we don't we don't have that, anymore we're not the 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 world's uh reserve currency anymore we we share that now uh regionally with with certain uh, with certain countries and and so it it just i i don't understand uh why this isn't a bigger subject uh we all know uh what the consequences of our inflation are we've been through it we've seen other countries go through it we've seen venezuela go through it we've seen zimbabwe go go to the dogs over it i mean they literally have three trillion uh dollar bills over there that'll basically buy you a pack of gum well now to avoid talking about it we simply have new monetary policy which is the well, economic new monetary wishes? Yeah. yeah, which is the economic equivalent of putting your fingers in your ears and saying "na na 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 na" when anybody talks about the budget. <laughs> and then, oh, and and, and and by the way, that remind all this reminded me. Did you see where Yellen wants to have a, wants to negotiate a worldwide minimum tax? Yeah, because and it's it's really strange when you think about it because we think of the Europeans and all of the other advanced nations of having very high taxes and certainly in terms of personal income tax combined with a VAT they do in Denmark for example they have a VAT of about 21 percent uh, on every good that you buy uh, good and service that you buy with the exception of clothing and non-prepared foods and then on top of that the average tax rate for the average person is 50 percent of their income oh and by the way there ain't no home mortgage deductions in Denmark, when they say 50%, that's what they freaking take. Um, little known to most Americans is that corporate taxes in Europe tend to be very low, um, much lower than the United States. One of the reasons why we lowered our tax rates on corporate taxes was because we simply weren't competitive with European companies who were paying, you know, 10, maybe 15% corporate tax. Exactly. And we right. were paying 36. And so now they're the the whole impetus behind this, well, we need some minimum tax, is so that Democrats can raise business taxes without having to worry about competition from companies overseas that can now Precisely. produce cheaper because their tax rates are half or more or less than half of what ours or are. countries or countries luring businesses away with lower tax rates, et cetera, et cetera. 
Yeah, so the whole point of that is we need you to raise taxes so that we can raise taxes. And we can trap our companies right here and, with higher taxes. And, and by the way, European governments, surprisingly, are not all that keen to raise business taxes. I can't imagine why. Well, because well, they, they know just as... <laughs> Just as, as anybody else with an ounce of sense knows that corporate taxes are not paid by corporations. Well, that's right. They're simply a cost of doing business. They're part of the cost of goods sold. That gets passed on directly to the consumer. That's exactly correct. And, and why was it Ronald Reagan who said they're not taxpayers, they're tax collectors? Always have been. You raise the tax on them, they'll collect it from, the, from their customers. So it's just another freaking tax that we, the taxpayers, have to pay. And, and as usual, it's going to impact those who can't afford it least. I mean, this is not hard stuff to understand. But apparently, <laughs> it just gets past a whole bunch of folks. They actually believe that these corporations who sell stuff to other people are going to just eat that cost and let you buy that stuff from them at the same price and make less profit. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's because just... that's what corporations are in business to do. Yeah, that's that's not going to happen. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's kind of like the, the same reasoning that goes on. You, you talked about you know Social Security not being worth much. Um, you know, you pay for Social Security with a seven and a half percent tax. And if you're self-employed, it's 15%. So that money is taken away from you, out of your paycheck, and then someday you get to collect Social Security. And the first thing they say is, well, this is income now. So yeah. you have to pay income tax on your Social Security. Wait a second. Yeah, I didn't absolutely. voluntarily give it to you. I didn't make an investment. But it it becomes taxable income the money they took away from you with the Social Security tax, when they finally give it back to you after 40 years, it now becomes taxable income. Okay. Exactly. Trust me, I know very well. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy who said that the White House is one of the main reasons. Yep. And he's, you know, I, I, I don't know if how much of this comes from Joe Biden I guess the gun control thing is one of Joe Biden's pet bugaboos. Always has been. The other stuff, though, is is he actually pushing all of this stuff, or is he just the mouthpiece for the progressives that basically run the Democratic Party now? I, I really don't well, know. Well, you know, if you look back at, at Joe Biden's uh, umpteen years in the Senate, um, he never was really a radical person. He was more of a moderate uh, type and, and you know you can go back and find him talking against a, a bunch of this stuff or much of this stuff uh, years ago. Uh, so so I can't help but feel that they go, Joe. What do you really feel strongly about? He says gun control and say, okay, well we'll do that if if we can also do this this and this. And he goes, okay, you know you take care of that you know that that thing and I'll I'll push gun control. I mean I can't help but feel that. Uh, it's, uh, this guy, this is not the Joe Biden of the past. 
And, and so I think uh, someone is is really writing the agenda, and, and Joe Biden has signed up to get a few things he wants and push the rest. Well, it's the rest that's the problem. For example, what's, yeah. what's going on on the border right now is 171,000 oh people contacted in the past month by the Border Patrol. Right. 170,000. You know, it's no longer a crisis. It's a disaster. It, it was interesting today that uh, um, Biden's border czar, uh, she used to be the ambassador to Mexico, Roberta Jackson, stepped down. She retired. Yep. Uh, and and Harris, who supposedly is the one who has been tapped by Biden to handle this, is AWOL. She has yet to go to the border. Uh, she was invited down by uh, the the uh, AG of Arizona, who said he'd be glad to buy her a pastry if she came down. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a disaster, and and all they're doing is you know you're talking about sticking your fingers in your ears and going la 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 la. That's what's going on with the border and and this administration. Uh, they get their fingers firmly in their ears, and they're and they're doing the la 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 bit. I mean, it's 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 a disaster, and uh, it's not getting any better. You know, the, the, well, the look, lady. You say it's a disaster. There are a lot of people on the Democratic Party who don't look the standard libertarian line. I see the people at Reason parroting this all the time. We shouldn't have a border at all. People should just be free no, to come here as they as grow they up. You know, grow up. And that's, but that's the standard Democratic, and certainly that's what Kamala Harris thinks. She's she's been an, an open well, she border advocate for She a is while. certainly doing her best to avoid her this new job. Uh, apparently, she's talked to the president of Mexico, and I believe she's talked to the president of Honduras, but she hasn't quite talked to the other two that are in the Northern Triangle. Uh, she El Salvador and. The other one slipped my mind. Yeah, well, but, now, uh, the, now the new plan is just to give them money. Yes, I love that. Isn't that great? Yeah. That now we're just going to, we'll just give them money to stay. Everything that these guys think, you know, they think money will fix everything. I mean, hell, you got Mario Cuomo up in New York's going to hand 15000 up to $15,600 to undocumented uh, uh, aliens uh, because they might have missed out on a little work last year. I mean, think about that. Think about that. I mean, this goof up there is talking about giving up to $15,600 to undocumented immigrants when, in fact, that, that all the Americans who are documented up there got this entire time was a total of $3,200. Yeah, and by the way, these are people who are not legally allowed to work in this country. That's correct. So, gee, they may have missed out on you think. Yeah, they, they missed out on exactly what they were supposed to miss out on. That's right. And, uh, but that's the, you know, that's the solution. We'll just bring all of these people in. And by the way, if all of a sudden the word gets out, which of course it has, that we're just going to give $15,000 to illegal immigrants, um, gee. Do you think you that will increase honest. or decrease the number of illegal immigrants who go to such uh, go to those places? Well, think of the uh, here's an anecdote. Think think of the time when the Somali refugees came over here, and they settled mostly in the south. A lot of them right here in the, in uh, Georgia, 
And then Maine came out with this wonderful, freaking uh, welfare system that, you know, would just, it was, it was the Cadillac of welfare systems. And suddenly the Georgia Somali villages were ghost towns. They all moved to Maine. And, and, and uh, why shouldn't they? Exactly. So, you know, incentive. This is, again, you know, you, you just shake your head sometimes. This is not stuff that we haven't known for, you know, four or 5,000 years. You know, you get more of what you reward. You get less of what you punish. Yeah, but it's hard to make and those so, connections when you have a political system that is increasingly disconnected from reality. Boy, no kidding. Uh, you couldn't say it any better. That's it. They are totally disconnected. They have no idea. Uh, well, well, it's like the, you know, I, my wife and I were talking about this. It's, it's like all this race crap. You know, I, this, this was over 25, 30 years ago for me. I mean, and, and you know, I, I watch all this crap on TV about, I mean, Buttigieg comes out this way. Yeah, infrastructure is racist. Yeah, everything is beat, so nothing is. But, you know, that's I, how I, he thinks he can sell this crap. I, I think what he actually said is that the, the, the highway system is explicitly right. racist. And he said, he said, he said that infrastructure was, was based, uh, it was a racist at its base. Yeah, okay. What does that gain anybody when, when you bring up silliness like that? Do you think maybe the, the demographics have changed since that since that stuff went through uh, the, with gentrification and this? I mean, what what re, you know what relevance has that got to selling? Uh, hey, we need to fix bridges and roads. Well, uh, I mean, who here here's here's the thing though. What Pete Buttigieg said is not it's not entirely untrue. If you no, look at no one's saying places. it is. I'm asking what its relevance is. Yeah, um, uh, because you know, famously, Robert Moses, who was the transportation czar of the New York City metropolitan area and eventually Long Island, um, he um, he in, he ensured that the overpasses on all of the highways going out to Long Island were too low for buses to pass under so that uh, minorities in New York City couldn't bust themselves out uh, for recreation in Long Island. So, mm. you know, some of that stuff did happen. But, no, no, Robert, no Moses, one that. We, but Robert Moses died in 1981. Yeah, and he was not, you know, the bottom line is all of this, let's make it about race, is divisive. It has no, that particular part of Pete Buttigieg's pitch is irrelevant to the fact that, hey, we have legitimate needs and these are the needs and laying them out. But they're not. They're going to try and sell it, you know, in ways that are divisive. Uh, they're going to rile people up and, and get them all nasty and not really care what's in the bill uh, because, you know, it was racist back then. I mean, this is this is not how you run a country. Yeah, that was seventy. The uniter in chief. That was seventy years ago. We can't go yeah. back and fix decisions that were made seventy years ago. No, we can fix them. We can fix them, but again, the relevance 
of bringing up racism when, yeah, there was racism, um, has what to do with anything today? Yeah, we have we have very different needs today too than we had back then as well, and we can fix those things without having to resort to race. And one of the things that that um, occurred to me this week while I was listening to all of this talk about race was, look, we've heard for the last four years that Donald Trump was this fella who um, caused this resurgence in uh, white supremacy, white nationalism, whatever you want to call it. And I think I would argue is if you've spent the last 30 years making everything explicitly about race and declaring this and that to be racist and, you know, now, of course, telling white people be less white um, and going with critical race theory and all the way out to white people are just naturally authoritarian and racist. Um, Okay, let's not pretend that you have no responsibility whenever you've racialized everything for a resurgence in white nationalism or white supremacy, whatever you want to call it, um, that's a natural reaction to you racializing the society. Don't don't racialize society and then be shocked, shocked to learn that racialization is going on in part of it. You can't have it both ways. Yep. And that's, uh, and, and so that, you know, my, my statement earlier, when everything's racist, nothing is, that's where they're headed with this. I mean, it's, it's going to get to the point where people go, oh, for God's sake, you saying that old crap again. I mean, it's just, it, it's gotten old quickly. And when, when everything that, I mean, what was it? The uh, school that decided that they were going to change their mascot to an evergreen tree. And then they decided, well, they couldn't put a tree up because, you know, they lynch people from trees. Oh, for God's sake! <laughs> trees are racist. Trees are racist, and I, you know, and I, I thought, you know, I looked at that and I went, "Oh my God!" I, mean, I, I suggested that they change the name of that school to the, uh, it's the Ida B. Wells um, High School, and I suggested they name their mascot to the Ida B. Wells Perpetually Aggrieved Woke Scold. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's what we have is a bunch of woke scolds. Um, it's. It, <laughs> There was a there was another one that I. Uh, By the way, trying, you don't to... hang people from pine trees, you idiots. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to do. Uh, but anyway, you know that was uh, that was one of them that just. I looked at that and I thought, my God, what you know? How have we gotten here? I mean, this is and the other thing is when it was suggested that everyone goes, oh yeah, like. How stupid! Can anyone act like a grown-up in situations like that? Oh, no. Here it is. Go ahead. The University of New Hampshire, Hampshire, is going to teach. Has put together a class about racism in science. So, as the guy says, he says so. He says uh, instead of uh, learning science, they're going to be taught why they can't learn science <laughs> I, I, I mean what how how, do, how is that a, how does that course have any relevance whatsoever except as a history course oh this is the way it was now yeah. this is the way it is you can go sign up for a stem class tomorrow yeah, neil degrasse tyson Jesus. unavailable for comment yeah that idiot well 
again, if everything we've ever done has been racist and is illegitimate, that provides you with a good reason for, uh, or good justification at least, for a massive restructuring of society. Mm-hmm. And that's largely what the left wants. They don't like the country into which they were born, and they want to make it a different country. And they believe it'll be a better country, and I believe it'll be a totalitarian hellhole. Oh, God, yeah. It'll be just, you know, another version of the same old crap holes that have, we've seen in Cuba and USSR and, you know, Cambodia, Venezuela. Same thing. And look, Cuba. When, when these suggestions are made, you know, for example, well, we can't name it after evergreen trees because, you know, lynching. Um, and you say, aren't there any adults in the room? Yeah, I assume there are. And I assume they also know if they open their big fat traps, their careers are over. Yeah, I get that. And I understand that. But but someday, someone, you know, someone's going to have to stand up and go, that's enough. Well, you know, I, screw my damn career. This is this is the height of absurdity. I saw this week um, they were going around interviewing white college kids about Georgia's uh, voter. Oh, forget it. Yeah, they know a lot of stuff. And so, you know, middle class white kids are real woke about racism and they know that, well, you know, (laughs) essentially, you know, those people can't get IDs. (laughs) What's the general message? And it's just like you don't even realize in your your anti-racist zealotry that you have internalized low expectations about minorities. Right. What would we call that? And the funny thing about that video was he then went to uh, black people and started asking them, so uh, do you have an ID? Yeah. Do you know where the DMV is? Yeah, it's over on 125th Street. Yeah. Uh, do you know anybody and then they called these doesn't people. have an ID? Anybody who said, yeah. <laughs> and then they called these woke white people stupid. Yeah, because, uh, but you know, it, it it's not stupidity. It, it's not that they're intellectually deficient. It's that they have been indoctrinated. Ignorance and stupidity are not the same thing. You can cure ignorance, um, but it's hard to cure when this ignorance is a direct result of an indoctrination that they've received since they were small children. They, they simply don't know the things that they don't know. Yeah. And, yep. you know, that's the fault of our education system and the, the people who you know, started taking it over back in the 1960s, that Gramsican long march through the institutions. Turns out that was a pretty effective strategy. Yeah, apparently. You know, we, you and I and, and uh, Michael have been talking about it for years. Uh, watching it slowly trickle out into, uh, you know, business. And uh, our, our initial reaction was, well, wait till they get out in the real world and they, you know, they're called to, uh, <laughs> they're called to heal, but they never were and they never have been. And so now you have the newsroom at the New York Times running the paper and deciding who they can hire. Uh, you have uh, all sorts of uh, little uh, uprisings within the corporations uh, uh, w- when they don't get their way and and uh, management caving in. Uh, and then you have these stupid uh, corporate uh, CEOs who get out 
uh, and alienate half their customer base by making becoming political instead of just shutting their mouth and flying airplanes and making soft drinks. You know, somebody once asked Michael Jordan, how come you don't speak out more about politics? And he said, because Republicans buy shoes too. He is a smart, smart man. And, you know, and that is such a simple, basic, and one would think obvious fact. Yes, you would think it would be obvious, but apparently it's not. No. So then you have Major League Baseball, who said, who who are headquartered in New York, by the way. Yeah. Um, who are now saying, well, you know, this thing in Georgia is completely unacceptable, although it largely mirrors the voting laws in New York. Yeah, well, in fact, it's better than the voting laws in New York. Have more early voting days, et cetera. So, yeah, just, you know, it's Jim Crow on steroids. And, and what is the impetus to catering to these people? Clearly, they feel that there's some, you know, there's some, they must feel there's some economic benefit. They must feel that, that this improves their business. I mean, you probably couldn't prove it by the NFL's ratings, for example, but apparently they just take it as an article of faith. When did that when did that happen? When did corporations decide, yeah, I can say whatever I want about politics and I can take sides and everything will just be fine. I won't have to pay a price for that. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, that just, again, the obvious, uh, to me at least, would be, hey, shut up and sell shoes. And shut up and sell, yeah. And look, I mean, that seems obvious to me. And, and we've seen it in journalism, Right. You know, there's a reason why most of these journalistic outlets are dying, why papers have just been dying left and right, why it's so hard for them to make money anymore. Nobody trusts them. Right. I mean, you know, lie to me once, shame on me, lie to me twice. Well, you know, you're not going to get that chance. I mean, the 60 Minutes thing we saw this last week, for God's sake, that was that was Dan Rather 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've seen seen deceptive editing before, but I've never seen it. I mean, that that was just stupid. There were multiple records of what the man said. And 60 Minutes took their copy of it and just deleted all but two sentences. And 60 Minutes knew that most people would probably never find out about it. And would I mean, you know, it. you know, you've screwed up when Democrats are condemning you. Florida Democrats are condemning you for, you know, a smear campaign. And that's what happened. Yeah, because I mean, um, as it turns out, uh, I believe my figures that I saw is that while Publix did give one hundred thousand dollars to. Um, uh, I thought it was six thousand or maybe it was more. Well, to I think Republicans. They also gave like um, four hundred thousand, half a million to Democrats. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, I think they gave six thousand specifically to DeSantis's uh, uh, campaign, and that was enough to buy them. Come on, I mean, when you look at that uh, um, transcript and you see what they cut out, I mean, it, it was a perfectly logical explanation of what went off and why it was the public was doing what it was doing, where it was doing it. And they took everything out of that that explained that and left in enough to sound like he, or imply that he was he was doing the pay-to-play crap. And, and, and just, and the blatancy of it. 
this this was a you know this was a press conference for God's sake. Sixty Minutes didn't have an exclusive in this. You know there were other cameras rolling. They might as well have edited what he said to just make his answer. I took a bribe from public. Yes. <laughs> May as well. Yeah. I mean, I I just, that sort of, and and so those layers and layers of editing at, at 60 Minutes went, yeah, that's fine. Okay. And so now we, you know, we, we look at 60 Minutes and go, yeah, well, you're gone. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. I have no faith in what you're going to bring to us. Well, this is the same organization, however, that, you know, 20 years ago did try to sell us on the idea that a Texas Air National Guard unit at Ellington Field in Houston had a typewriter that typed in 10 points times New Roman with justified margins. Yeah. Which hadn't even shown up yet, as far as I, as I remember. Yeah, Times New in Roman did not exist as a font at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and, and they and went through this he... long, tortuous thing. I mean, for, for like a week later about, ha, 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 we found a typewriter that could have typed justified margins in 1969 it, or 1970. It existed. And... Yeah, one of them somewhere. <laughs> yeah, one of them. It cost $150,000. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what the Texas Air National Guard is going to buy for a secretary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was. I I remember that well. I remember how much research everybody did, and and um, and how quickly it got. Uh, uh, Dan's little narrative got blown away. Well, that's where fake but accurate came from. Well, sure, it was fake, that's but right. it was accurate. And, and that's why I wondered after this sixty-minute ep- episode with DeSantis is if perhaps Dan rather was waxing nostalgic. You know, I mean, this is right up his alley. But but you know. The, <laughs> Yeah, but look, I mean, there's, there's no way, and they, of course, justify it. Now they've come out and justified it. I think Pointer addressed it and said, yeah, they showed some bad judgment. No, they didn't. Oh, for God's sake, no, they didn't. They did exactly what they intended to do. Yeah, if, if you, if she, the reporter, had done all that herself and put it out, I'd buy the bad judgment part, okay? But that's not how that crap works. All right. No, there are, as we've it, been assured repeatedly, layers and layers of editors. Of editors. And they look at it and they buy off on it and they say, that's okay. No, that's not bad judgment. That's a decision. Well, you know, it goes back to the whole argument about, about press bias where they say, well, you know, we're not perfect. We make mistakes, but we're not biased. Well, you know, I would buy that if the mistakes went both ways. But whenever the mistakes seem to almost constantly go in one specific way, I begin to lose faith in the we exercised bad judgment argument. I now begin to think you're exercising exactly the judgment you intend to exercise. Exactly. Yeah. And especially when it happens over and over and over. Yeah. Just, I mean, my God, this is, so, you, you know, you just add 60 minutes, not that I hadn't already done that, but you add 60 minutes to the long list of, uh, uh, of uh, media outlets that you can you have no trust in CNN who says oh my god you can't there's no confirmed way to determine uh, sex at birth really okay well hell I'd read CNN it's off a, years ago anyway it's but, a puzzler I mean, it's a poser see, yeah when you see stuff like that you 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 go yeah uh, anything that comes out of this place I'm going to find my own 
freaking confirmation before I will ever believe it. I'm glad you brought up CNN because CNN published an op-ed this week about how fonts are racist. Yes. Chop suey. <laughs> the chop suey font. So any font that resembles oriental writing <laughs> is part of some deeply ingrained anti-Asian bias. Because, oh, you know, th that's the type of font they used in World War II propaganda posters, you see. What a vanilla world we're going to end up living in, aren't we? I, I I believe that Georgia and Verdana will be the only two acceptable fonts for you. <laughs> oh, for God's sake! Uh, yeah, this is that's what I mean. We're we're reaching the point. Well, we reached it a while ago, but we're, we're continuing towards the point of uh, such absurdity that people are just going to throw their hands up and go, "Get the you know, get out of here." Well, you know, I've always thought that. I'm not entirely sure that's true anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I know what you mean. Jesus. It is, what, a, what a world we live in. I mean, if you'd have told me 20 years ago this is the way it'd be now, I'd go, ah, oh, come on, man. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're way past the race thing. And, and uh, we've got uh, all this technology and we're figuring all this stuff out. It's going to be great. Wrong. Yeah, it, 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 it's I, – I don't know whether it's that the average person – has just been derailed in their thinking or simply because all of the cultural institutions we have have been and we just don't hear anything outside from of those cultural institutions except for, you know, the the alternative media as they call it or, or what have you. Because you know, our our culture has just been taken over by these fellows. And trash. And those are the and trashed and those are the only messages we get plus and when that is the case i again think back to william shirer's book berlin diary where he recounts his time uh, he was the cbs correspondent for cbs radio in berlin from uh, 1933 to 1940 and um he uh, he wrote about uh, you know, all of the weird stuff that was in the German newspapers. You know, it was all propaganda. It was all right. controlled by Joseph Goebbels and the, the, the propaganda ministry who told editors what they could publish on a daily basis. And he said, you know, you'll talk to a German who seems to be very rational and have a lot of common sense, and you'll be having a conversation with them, and then they come out with the most outlandish opinions. And you think to yourself, nobody can possibly believe that, but so many of them do. And he talks about himself uh, actually getting a vacation and going off to Sweet, uh, Switzerland for a couple of weeks. And actually, and now he was from CBS. He had access to external sources of news, even though he was living in Nazi Germany. But going to Sweden and just seeing, you know, a free press and seeing all this other news, he began to realize that he had started to get some weird ideas about living in Nazi Germany simply because he'd been subjected to this same messaging over and over and mm -hmm. over again until, you know, it, it is the big lie theory, and Joseph Goebbels was right. It, it does work. If you tell a lie that's outrageous enough and tell it for long enough and people don't have access to another message to counteract it, people are going to start believing it. It's all they hear. Yeah, exactly right. And that's one of the reasons why I, I seek out uh, alternative media and foreign media, the British press, for instance, um, 
I mean, not always re reliable in that regard, but usually you can find uh, at least some fairly straight reporting on something that uh, on, on subjects that you're not going to get it with here, particularly politics. Um, you know, you, you get you get the one side here and, and uh, or mostly and uh, it, it all seems to march in lockstep, whereas if you'll hit some of the Brits or, or even, you know, I've done Australians, the whole shooting match, um, they'll actually, as much as they, you know, feel their, their readers will uh, stomach, they'll actually break it down a little bit and, and lay out the facts. And that, you just don't get that here. You get propaganda here. You get the line. And, and when you read or read anything from CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, they're all pretty much the same. They're all pretty much on message. They're all pretty much saying the same thing. Yeah, I have a little affinity for Agence France Press, who have an English language service. Mm -hmm. I've read them. So I read the Germans. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's 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 a lot of uh, interesting stuff out there if you go look for it, and uh, it will give you a different look at at what the than what the American. Uh, papers, most of the American papers or, or media are pushing. But that's all people hear. And so yeah. they either accept so, it and, and or if they the don't thing. accept it, they know that it probably wouldn't be wise to say anything about it. Yep. Self-censorship is up, I'm sure. I know. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I don't have I don't have a job or career to protect, so screw them. Um, but yeah, that, there are people that are not going to say a word. Even and you and you read these anecdotes all the time about the college kids that come out of there that are of a conservative uh, uh, side and say, yeah, we just whatever the teacher wanted, we gave them, and we just kept quiet. Yeah, just keep your mouth shut, don't let anybody know, and just get your soldier on. Soldier yeah. on, exactly. And then you know because you know it's one of the things that um, I always thought was really interesting is that um and I'll, I'll expand on it is that you know Gwen Dyer who was a Canadian professor of military history he wrote a book in the early 80s called War and a very good book by the way it's a history of, of warfare and he was talking about how militaries take people and turn them into soldiers and he was going through the process and he he said at one point you know, that, that this works really best on younger men, on young men, mm -hmm. young single men. He says, you can take older married men and give them this same training, and you can teach them to parrot all the stuff that you want them to say, but you can never actually quite get them to believe it. <laughs> and, you know, when you expand on that, you can tell me what to say. You can tell me those pieties that I have to mouth, and you can even make me mouth them but you can never make me believe them. Yeah. And the one place that, that no one else can control is between your ears and what you believe. Uh, you know, you, 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 my dad used to say, those are the, those are the most important six inches uh, around. And, and he was making a, you know, he's being a little off color because you know what you would say, six inches, you go between your ears. <laughs> <laughs> but He's right. I mean, that 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 is the most important six inches. On uh oh, lost you a little bit there, Bruce.
what you think. No one, they can take a lot of. Yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm losing you. I, I, I missed the last couple of minutes. Are you still there? Me? Yeah, there we go. Now you're back. Oh. <laughs> you, Did I go away? Yeah, you, you went away for about uh, 30 seconds there. But, oh, yeah. good. It was probably probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I just caught that, you know, you're really impressed with your six inches. That was the only yeah. thing you're looking at. <laughs> Between my ears, you've been dope. <laughs> no, I was saying my dad was trying to make, he, he was being a little, he thought it was, we thought it was off color. And we go six inches, and he go between your ears. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, it really is, and it's the one thing that nobody can control. That's right. And you know, you have to wonder how many people are saying all of this stuff and repeating it, but know that it's a bunch of bullshit. But they know that if if they don't, then you know their you know, their career or livelihood or whatever is at risk. Yeah, and then and then the next question is: So what do we do about about it to change that and it it's just gonna have to take some very brave people that stand up and go enough i'm not playing this and i'm starting this here and there um where you know this college professor stands up that one stands up they're trying you know and that's what it's going to take and that's what and that's one of the places it has to happen in academia you, you know you have to kill this damn nasty thing in academia as quick first and as quickly as possible, because that's what has poisoned the rest of the culture. I think. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, Adolf Hitler is always an endless source of of, of good bad examples, um, and uh, I believe it was e either him or Joseph Goebbels that said, um, "If you give me your children, I own the future." Yeah. And this, that's, I mean, my God, again, common sense. Although in, in their particular case, that turned out to be uh, largely untrue, although not because of massive cultural changes, but uh, rather the imposition of a different culture from outside of Germany. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, forcefully. <laughs> forcefully. Oh, yeah. How, how about we change the future? How about that? <laughs> Uh, which reminds me, a, a, a science fiction author that I follow, Rob uh, Creasy, um, had seen a tweet from somebody put up on, not a tweet, but a, a meme somebody put up on Reddit saying, you know, um, the the uh, something destroyed my you know, childhood and now this COVID has destroyed my 20s and the climate is no, going to destroy my 30s. And he just simply responded, on D-Day, 18-year-olds parachuted into a swamp and drowned. Your problems yeah. aren't that aren't that hard to address. Yeah, wah, wah, wah. Good Lord. Yeah, well, there's a lot of wah, wah, wah going on, Bruce. Boy, there is. <laughs> well, that's you know we have a we have a victim culture now. It's cool to be a victim. I mean, that's the end thing. You know, all these, we only hear these stories about rising above and overcoming and yada, da, da. We want to find out how deep and bad your victimhood was and how we should, you know, figure out a way to reward that. Yeah, well, a problem we won't solve tonight, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but have a great week, Bruce. We'll talk to you. Oh, uh, maybe next week, maybe not. Um, yeah. But we'll, we'll talk see. to you whenever we can. All right. <laughs> We'll see you later, Bruce. 
You've been listening to Observations Q&O Podcast for Friday, the 9th of April, 2021. On behalf of Bruce McQuain, this is Dell Franks. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Hope you'll be listening the next time. It may not be for the next week or so, but uh, we'll be back soon. Have a great couple of weeks. We'll talk to you later. So long, everybody.